Welcome to the Music Business Podcast. Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends, tactics, and insights from some of the world's brightest minds in music. I'm Jordan Williams of EQT Management. And I'm Sam Heisel from Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Yo, what's up, Sam Heisel? Yo, yo, yo. I don't know if you guys know, but it's been a minute since we've actually recorded one of these things because Sam was at Burning Man. So welcome back. Oh, man. Hope you had a good time, man. Oh, man. <laughs> From the videos I saw, it looked like you had an amazing time. But You ain't seen nothing. Let me you tell know, you that. We knew you had to come back to get on the podcast, though, to keep the ball rolling. You know what I'm saying? Oh, but let's sure. let's just say Sam's got some extra hair on his face. He's got more confident attitude. You know what I'm saying? Burning Man changing. We out here. So, <laughs> but anyway, for our guest today, uh, we got Gio, man. George Afori Ampadu. I'm, I'm hopefully I'm saying that correct. Gio, I'm sorry if I'm not. I usually just say Gio. I've never actually said his full name, but that's just how cool we are, you know? So Gio gets into something that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet, which is radio. Um, we've been trying to get Gio on this podcast for however long. Um, you know, it didn't work out just scheduling, um, going back to his company to make sure it was cool. But now that he's now that he's here, we really get into we really get into meeting some some good radio stories from him. And um, just a journey from being somebody that signed to the label he works for, Interscope, to to being on radio, to seeing things grow. It was a really organic conversation, and I'm 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 glad it finally happened, and uh, super excited for everybody to hear it. Because you know, in terms of radio, I work at an indie. Um, I'm at work at an indie management company, indie label. Radio is not something that we invest in a lot, so. I'm just super glad that he was on for me, too, so I could learn about that also. Sam, what you think? Yeah, I think it was interesting to hear about a lot of the thematic changes that are happening when it comes to radio. Yet it still is an incredibly relevant platform and place to be. In. And uh, I think as you guys are an artist, as an independent, it is challenging to get on the radio. There's no right. doubt about that. I mean, I think there's been a sentiment across a lot of the conversations that we have when it comes to the notion of like independent versus signing. I think our perspective is try and create as much leverage as you can on your own so that you can create a favorable deal with a label. But I think labels, major labels, I think one of the big value drivers that they provide is their ability to do radio promo. So to hear about the relevance and importance of radio and some of the thematic uh, shifts from Gio's perspective was super valuable. I mean, right. his experience working with artists, he talks about some really interesting stories in the early days of Miguel and, and uh, helping promote some of those records and developing some early traction there. You also dive into just some of his general career story and, and kind of getting his foot in the door and how he really got to where he is today, as well as how he's able to kind of make steady progress while maintaining a, a long-term perspective. So really enjoyed the episode with Gio. Uh, really appreciate you guys listening as always. So without any further ado, let's get into the episode. What's up, Gio, man? Welcome to the show, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you guys. Super glad to have you on, man. Yeah, it took a little time. Yeah, it did, man. But it all it all makes sense, you know? We're pretty much asking people to come on this podcast to to share how they do what they do. So... Yeah, I've checked it out. I'm pretty. I'm kind of a fan of what you guys do. You guys definitely educate people. That's that's what the purpose of this is. So yeah, I say yeah, it makes sense. And the music industry is such a small world, you know. Um, and there's so many things I think that people just don't know, um, because they just don't have the resources to. So I'm glad people like you can come on and just kind of shed light in whatever way possible. So um, dope, man, dope. I guess just like from the beginning. You know, how did you get into what you're doing right now? 
the, oh, the, the short version, you know what I mean? Because some people would be asking them and they'd be like, yo, so when I was five. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, bro. Uh. <laughs> short version, uh, yeah. short version, my, my brother was an artist. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so he's 10 years older than me. I was the kid at the end of the keyboard telling him which melodies I liked, which melodies oh, wow. I didn't like. That's kind of, I guess, how I developed in there. Um, fast forward, college, worked at a radio station, hung out posters, hung out flyers. I was, wasn't was old enough to get into the club, so I had to stay outside. So you was on like a street team I then? was definitely on the street team, out the, at the radio station, rolling with all the DJs. Um, so and, where where were you? Which radio stations? Uh, like, this was, uh, was, this was a clear channel station in uh, Hartford, yeah. Okay. So, you know, now they're iHeart. So, but that station doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was it was good old clear channel. Lasted maybe eight months at Clear Channel. Was a so-so experience. Were you working there or were you like an intern? Started off interning. It's funny because uh, I remember I went I went to the interview. Oh, my God. Went to the interview. It was like the hottest day of the summer. Full suit. <laughs> you know, at that point, I was, I was pre-law. So I was like trying to... I was thinking in my head, I'm going to go to law school. So any uh, interview I went on, I went on. I had a suit, you know. Yeah. I went to the radio station... They were looking at me like, who is this insurance salesman <laughs> over here? You know, just hanging out. And uh, so I, uh, I I did the interview and they were looking at me like, yo, we got to give you the job now, bro. <laughs> I was sweating. It was crazy. Um, but it was cool. Got the gig, like I said, last eight months. Um, right after that, I got an internship at Sony. I definitely did not wear a suit to that interview. And then from there... Graduated college, decided not to go to law school, um, just wanted to try my hand at the real world. It's and- funny you say that, man, because when I got to New York, um, and for the people that know me back then, this is going to sound crazy as shit for the people that didn't know me, but I used to wear a button-down shirt, a tie, dress pants, dress shoes, and an Argyle sweater every day. Every day? Every day, yo. Wow. Every day. And, well, and right now, though? I'm in a hoodie and... <laughs> washed out khakis and and messed up shoes because at that time I didn't know who I was going to meet and I just wanted to make a good first impression wherever I went. And I know nobody would ever say, "Um, yo, you look too good. You know what I mean? Like, like, yo, you're you're dressed too nicely. But... I changed it up when I joined the industry because of the same thing. It was like, yo, what, what are you, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, first impressions are a doozy, man. Yeah, I think we've kind of been conditioned uh, when you come from certain backgrounds. You kind of been conditioned that, like, yo, you gotta be your best version of yourself. Yeah, and uh, you know, I decided to wear a suit <laughs> to a radio station. Cool. So from there, yeah, just uh, got an internship. Sony called me back, and then uh, I found some good mentors. And they brought me into the to the label side, which was like, you know, which was the best thing that that happened. So was it, did you always, was be working for a label something you always wanted to do? Or was it kind of like your mentors kind of ushered you in that direction? Um, Honestly, it wasn't something that I thought was even possible. Mm. I thought like, you know, I had to be a lawyer to work at a record company or I had to be an artist to be involved in that. I mean, I had a, I had a, I had pretty much like a figurehead when I was a child, uh, who was like, you know, a mentor to my brother who kind of adopted me as I got older. Um, he was a lawyer. Um, I think some people know him as Reggie and other people know him as Combat Jack. So oh, Combat was definitely like, you know, one of those guys in my life that, uh, you know, he made it look, he made it look a little easier mm-hmm. than I thought it was. Right. Um, so, it, you know, 
it, I kind of gravitate towards it. Damn, man. Combat Jack. Such an important person for music in general, dude. For sure. That's crazy. That's such a great mentor to have, too. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. damn. One of the early <laughs> ones. One of the early ones. Like, before I even realized that, you know, this could be real. So, the label world's obviously really big. At what point was it like, I want to do what I'm doing right now? I want to be in radio. Or was it like, at some point, was it like, because you said earlier you wanted to, you were the person at the end of the keyboard. Mm-hmm. So, in that in that situation, that's kind of like a and You know um, what I mean? Well, I mean, in my internship, it's funny because, like, my internship was trash. Like, I was like, uh, so it was right when, like, Sony and BMG merged. And so, you know, Sony acquired BMG. And so there was all this catalog. All this BMG had all this Latin catalog, and I was responsible for like transcribing everything into like oh, wow. the royalty system. I do not speak Spanish fluently <laughs> for the audience out there. I was literally just like, you know, copying the information, but I showed up to work every day. My boss didn't want to do that job. So he was like, yo, I'm glad you are this enthusiastic <laughs> about this because nobody else was. You know what I mean? So I just kind of took a not so great situation and I, I made it look easy I guess and uh, so he gave me a great recommendation and I don't know like everybody in that time that I met all the other interns everybody's like yeah I want to be an a and I want to be an a and I want to be an a and so it just kind of became very I can't became numb to the concept of an a and because it's like it just became super glorified and it's like so many people are trying to do it. There's no way in hell 30,000 kids are going to become a <laughs> In my head, I just knew like it's not going to happen. Not saying that I, if I didn't apply myself, I couldn't get there. But I just felt like I got to find another way to get there rather than the traditional way to get right, there. Right, right. It was rather played than, out at that point. Yeah, to me, it was just like, okay, cool. You guys are never going to be a <laughs> Like it just doesn't make any sense. And I mean, at the time, I was also like, I just knew a lot of DJs just from growing up. I do, I threw a lot of parties and stuff. And I saw how they interacted with artists. And I'm like, well, that's the way to get to the studio is having real relationships with mm-hmm. these artists, with these writers, with these producers. Sitting around the office, just like, you know, getting coffee is not how I'm going to get in the studio. So, so yeah, I just kind of took a different route. Um, me being out all the time, me being from New York, for real, you know, I mean, obviously last five, 10 years, a lot of transplants, but me actually being from this city, it was easier to navigate. So like promotion, marketing, that kind of thing just stuck out to me out the gate. Um, I want to go back to something you just said earlier in your story, which is something that Harrison Corwin also talked about during his episode two, is that um, you made you made that job that your boss didn't want to do look easy. Yeah, yeah. And like you actually went at it with with rigor and with accuracy you know I think the music industry one of the things that I I hate about it but I also love it at the same time is it's really it's really good at humbling you like super <laughs> fast yeah. like I mean I'm not sure but all of those people that said they wanted to be A&R is like I'm sure they would hate where to do they that are shit right you now. Doing. you know what I mean like I don't know where they are right now bro we and we all have big dreams mm-hmm. right but you know some of the stuff that I had to do at first was like shitty like being on the phone with American Airlines for three hours to change a flight that yeah. was booked I did that. Months ago. You know what I mean? Like, I until that. 1 a.m., sitting on there on hold. <laughs> like, on a Friday night on Trying hold. not to fall asleep. Exactly, exactly. Right. So, um, just want to reiterate to everybody listening, whatever, you, whatever you're given, do it well. But more importantly, not, not for, your, for your boss, but for you. So, yeah, that's super dope. Can you talk a little bit about your role today and, and what your focus is at Interscope? Uh, at the label. So, you know, New York is the epicenter of, of media. 
And so a lot of artists come out here for their press run, their promo run. So when they get off that plane, when they get out the hotel, they get out the Sprinter, I'm the first face they see before they get into <laughs> that building. Mm-hmm. So I got to like, you know, take these guys up to, you know, do some of the morning shows. Um, I got to take them to some, see some of the afternoon jocks. And it's time to do some drops. Just the overall exchange of artist to platform. That's the that's kind of the space that I live in, specifically um, radio broadcast. You know, got a couple, got some broadcast, um, uh, television broadcast experience as well. Did like BET for many years. Um, all my Atlanta guys know me as BET George because I was always the one <laughs> at 106 in Park when they when they got out the sprinter. Like George, what are we doing today? <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Um, really just like, again, that buffer, making sure everything's good, making sure, you know, interviews running on time. I'm good for the wrap up signal. Um, you know, that's kind of like where I live. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? How do you feel that uh, the value and impact of radio has changed over the course of the past five to 10 years as social media and you know, digital media has become so much more prevalent? I mean, being honest, radio is technology in its basic form. Radio plays everywhere. There's a signal everywhere in this country, in multiple countries. However, because of generations and changes, you know, everyone's on their phone. Not everybody drives to work every day, you know, so everyone's just listening to their Apple Music Mm -hmm. or Spotify, Amazon, whatever. So it's not as prevalent in terms of like, you know, the first source all the time. Because a lot of times everybody likes to go to DSPs first, mm-hmm. but it's still number one for like discovery. Right. You know, there's still an audience out there that, you know, finds playlists and mm-hmm. listens to the radio. Yeah. That's the same person. For sure. Because they don't know. They're not inclined. They just, they just like to have a good time, bro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to think about what songs they like. They just want to, they just want to party. Yeah. And I think radio is the party. Yeah. I mean, and people still know what plays on the radio, even if they don't. I mean, you have to if you're in yeah. the business. And if you're not in the business, you you know because, you know, you're exposed to it. Right. Like, you know, obviously, um, I know a lot of people that listen that listen to Apple Music, Spotify, DSPs, and that sort of thing. But when songs come on at parties, they know all the words. <laughs> and they and they don't... They, it's not on any of their playlists. And yeah. it's because they've been listening to the radio. You know what I mean? Like, they've been listening to these songs get broken in for months, you know? Yeah, radio still makes superstars, man. Yeah, it's definitely like a big stamp, too. Like, I remember being an early fan of baby, and then hearing Sugar on the radio. And I'm like, damn, this is like, <laughs> he cro- like this is crossover. Like he's, Yeah, man. And if you, an artist makes it to that stage, I mean, that's, that's huge. And I think uh, it was interesting when we were speaking with Jesse Kirschbaum about kind of like getting the cosign of a, of a brand or getting the cosign of an artist. If your song is getting like radio play, like even artists too, like on their stories or Instagram, it's like- They're excited. The video, I mean, it's because it's excited. a moment. It's credibility. It's they valuable. It. it says something big. Yeah. And Oh, I was talking going. to an artist yesterday and uh, one of my friends and he said, you know, he's from New Orleans and he said his first dream was to get signed to a record company. His second dream was to get played on the radio in that order, bro. And mm-hmm. it's like, I think for most of us who have friends who are artists, you know, 
again, we're just conditioned that way, bro, because we know that's where the masses are. Everyone wants to be big. No one wants to be an artist and says, I don't want to be a successful artist or I don't I want 10 people to hear my records. No, everyone mm-hmm. wants the masses to hear their totally, records. Totally, totally, totally. Also, you know, like, if an artist is super popping on Spotify or Apple Music and they have no radio play, like, people know. You know what I mean? Like, um, feels st- it still feels underground, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, one of those big artists, at least in the Baltimore area, when I was there a while ago, was Wale. Mm. Like, they just wouldn't play Wale that's, that's in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a long time ago, yeah. but like, they just wouldn't do it. He, I would hear him on literally on his mixtapes talk about how he would never get played by ninety two Q and stuff because it, yeah. it meant something to him. With you know? Wale? I feel like Wale is like an incredible rapper that like OG like rap fans love. Yet like his last couple albums have notoriously like they just not went, done went well. under the bridge. I guess. But why do you guys think that is? I think Wale is a great writer. Yeah, I think so too. And I respect the, the hell out of him. Yeah, I always yeah, no, have, a, you know. Honestly, he's, like, he's cool. like he, he, he was just at Gold Link's party a couple weeks yeah. ago. You know what I mean? I can't speak on why it's not do well. I don't know. I don't know his business. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, I don't really know. I don't really know in depth too much about what he's doing and what he's not doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I do know I've always been a fan of Wale and that makes me a little biased because I've been sure. listening to his mixtapes for years. Nike Boots was it Yeah, yeah. Like Wale that, dance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Literally for years I've been listening yeah. to Wale. I mean, some of those mixtapes he had. So he's got a series um, about nothing like yeah. with the Seinfeld. Were you a Seinfeld mixtapes. fan? Mixtapes. Um, I wasn't a huge Seinfeld fan, but I was always really impressed with how he used their samples to, <laughs> to illustrate the songs in his right, music and right, to make right, it really right, cohesive. Right. Yeah. So some of them, like, well, he has one song in particular called Artistic Integrity. I used to rap that shit. Like, I wrote that shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, never been, I ever would have never. <laughs> I used to be in the crib, like, spitting at myself. Nice. Like, I wrote it. Nice. So. I'm not really too sure what happened with Wale. I know, I know. Um, when he put out the album a couple a couple years ago, maybe like four or five years ago at this point, um, people were just hating on it for no reason. I didn't really understand. Yeah. I think, I think so. he catches a lot of a lot of flack. I don't I don't get it, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, right. It's just one of those things. It's like mm-hmm. that's how he is. I don't know. I don't know why. You yeah. Know? yeah. Uh, I want to bring it back to one point we were talking about just the value of radio and the rise of social media. One thing I find interesting is that a lot of uh like traditionally like radio first properties, like I'll use the Breakfast Club as a case study, have done a great job at actually translating into this kind of the social media realm. Like a lot yeah. of the, the real viral moments yeah. from the Breakfast Club are actually things, videos going live on YouTube or getting and like posted in clips. like interview with Tyler the Creator, for example. Yeah, and like yeah, yeah. blew up online, you know. You guys care about that? that? That matters to you? What? Like when the radio, when stuff like that goes viral? I mean, I think the some of the most relevant, culturally relevant moments that stem from radio largely become culturally relevant, at, like, in mass because of the fact that they pick up steam off radio. Right, 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 right. That's, I feel like that's a nuance within itself. It's mm-hmm. crazy because the Breakfast Club, as big as they are, you know, most people who listen to the radio, they want to hear about what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. in their area. Mm-hmm. Breakfast Club is so big, mm-hmm. you know. It's not really like local content, right? You know what I mean, right? Um, so that's something that is like always like you know catch twenty two. But the platform is huge. Those guys do an amazing job at just you know having great compelling interviews. Mm-hmm. And you know it's funny like artists actually look forward to going to the Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. like, you know, because mm-hmm. they know that the interview is gonna 
make them sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we sure. you know I know saying? in the beginning of even talking about this podcast, me and me Go and Sam took some mask. we took some notes from Charlemagne, just how he just how he interviewed his his subjects, you know. I think he's changed over the years too though. Yeah, yeah. True, true. He used he's to be definitely like, like a shock jock for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, he's just like so real, very raw and unfiltered up to a limit, but has been able to like finesse that like dominating the corporate radio ladder while being true to himself and balance that tiptoe. I think a lot of like people that are personalities within bigger organizations oftentimes have to like water down their personality. And I feel like he's done a great job at like. I think he's doing a great job. Yeah. I don't, I think the Howard Stern thing is not, I don't think we're going to see another Howard Stern. Right. That probably not going to exist on radio, maybe on social media. You know, there's a lot of guys who's like, you know, uh, in comments, you know, trolling artists, all right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of like the new thing. I know I, I'm hearing artists are even building careers off of that, like, you know, <laughs> trolling artists and then becoming artists themselves, which to me is baffling. Like, <laughs> you know, I never understood that because, I mean, I know me, if I was an artist and somebody trolled me, if I ever found out that you became an artist, bro, <laughs> we're going to have some words, man. <laughs> we're going to have some words, for sure. But I mean, you know, to each his own, man. Right. Dope, dope. So as far as as far as radio goes, like and the artists that you work with, how much of it is um and if any of these questions make you uncomfortable, feel free to not answer them, but just say I don't want to answer it. How much of that process is ANRing on your end? Like with, internally, where you're like, yo, I really want to work with this act. Um, you know I mean, mean, I think I think every team every team kinda like hears the records. And we know our people. When I say people, I know my DJs. Mm-hmm. I know which DJs are going to jump out on a record, which DJs are not, which DJs are going to get it, which DJs are not. But ultimately, it's like, you know the playlist, you know what they're already playing, you know the caliber of artists they're already playing. So in your your internal like uh, gauge is saying, this is just too far left, this isn't going to work. Let's not waste our time and resources. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on something that's a little bit more within the for- format, or let's just try to find an alternate way of marketing and promoting this artist. Right. So, so that we're not chasing DJs around to play the records who probably don't want to play the record. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's really just you know creating a, a lifestyle event where we invite DJs so we can get them involved that way. And then that way it's a human experience. And I think that's a big part of what we do. We create human experiences because we're so accustomed to, you know, getting fed things through our email mm-hmm. or through our social media. So if we put an artist and a DJ or an artist and a, uh, an exe- a radio executive in the room together, you know, that's something that is memorable. We create memories. And so when that artist does have that record, whether it be a year after that, six months after that, or two weeks after that, that DJ is going to be ready. He's going right. to be more susceptible to play that record. Promotion is, to me, it's kind of like streaming in the sense of where it's, it's cumulative. It's not just like, okay, here's the record. If it doesn't work, I have to start from scratch. It's like, you remember the last two or three records that sent you from this artist. Oh, so when it. I have a record now that you know is straight down the middle, it's a no-brainer for the most part. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> for the most part. When it comes to, uh, and I think this goes for like artists cap, not necessarily as much like generating the press opportunities, but capitalizing upon them. 
we were speaking about how sometimes artists, like even the Breakfast Club, will go in and try and do some level of like stunt marketing or try and really capitalize or, or make a big moment out of something. Like, do you have any advice for artists in general when it comes to like, okay, they, they have an opportunity. They're going to get a little bit of press. How can they actually like maximize this opportunity? Um, I think when you're put on a big fl- platform, I think, you know, the most important thing to realize is it's still a business, bro. You know what I mean? And in business, excuse me, you got to have a certain level of like etiquette, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and compassion because there's a lot of people's jobs on the line. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if you go make a crazy stunt or do something crazy, you know, hopefully you're like, you know, an A-list artist and, you know, <laughs> it's just going to be like, you know, no one's going to like either care or it's, or it's going to be water on the bridge. But if you're like, an artist that really needs the support, you're still starting out. Like, that's not a way to get on. <laughs> the internet has made things so... It makes the craziest things feel normal. And crazy isn't normal, bro. Being, like, talented should be normal. Right. Being exceptional at your craft should be normal. And also communicating well should be normal. You know what I mean? I don't want to see an interview with a kid who's, like, mumbling and like too high to fucking communicate like that's just so crazy to me <laughs> it makes my job like I'm I'm gonna be the guy on the other side of the room like damn yeah get this over with I'm <laughs> you know and then I gotta deal with the ramifications of that cause I was like you know you should, you I was should, the man, manager on, on yeah. duty essentially right I think one thing people don't see is how much communication has to go into like everything that artists do yeah. like there's like there's like so much conversations that ha- go behind the scenes and like, and a lot of it is to like, you know, constantly reinforce like game plan. Yeah. And game plan is so important because, you know, sometimes anything can happen, you know, with artists, you know, especially caliber of artists. But, you know, when you're in the development stages, you know, you got to be stern, but you also got to be compassionate. Right, you know, when you're on the label side, you know that you 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 work with a lot of artists, yeah, and you see them from all different stages. It's like, I know when you sometimes you have to say no to an artist. That's probably the best feeling in the world because you know, like, <laughs> like you know, it's not gonna be a good situation if you say if you just let it slide. It's like sometimes saying no is like it's like the most important thing that someone can say. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and it's because that's going off script. You can't go off script, bro. You got to just get it done, keep it moving, and get on to the next thing because we got a schedule and being late is not cool because people hate that shit. Yeah, man. I think that's one of the difficult things. I mean, we were talking about this before you got on is making sure that your clients feel heard, but you can still be honest with them about mm-hmm. when a situation has just gone too far, whether that be rescheduling something, late for something. Yeah. And then, and then when they are late, you know, not being a dick about it. It's hard not to be a dick about it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like, where you like, yo, you two hours late, bro. <laughs> like, I swear to God, yo. <laughs> you know if you wasn't in front of company right here, <laughs> yo, you lucky your music is fire, bro. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> yeah. Lucky, yo. So Yeah. yeah. Um, it's tough being it's tough being in these in these seats, you know. This this is a thankless job, bro. That's one, yeah, man. that's what one of my mentors. And I think I heard you say that too on one of these podcasts. This is a thankless job. People don't really like see the level of, you know, commitment you got to have and 
It's just so crazy, man. It's not for the week. It's not for the week at all. No, nah, man. But that's why you got to have a community. I was just talking to somebody on a, on um yesterday. I took him out to drinks. He listens to the podcast. And uh, he was saying, you know, he's young. He's hungry. He was saying that, you know, when he works from 9 to 6, 6.30, he's then thinking about what he should be doing outside of the job from 6.30 to 12, as in when he goes to sleep, but like kind of for the job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you should take out an hour, hour and a half to like see people. I like to interact with people because it's going to be tough. Like, I've been in situations where I'm overstressed, overworked, but I always have people to rely on. You know what I mean? And I think early on, I just, like, lost track of that. Didn't see my friends and family enough. But because this is such a thankless job, you have to have that community to tell you, look, you're doing a good job. I think that's hard, though, man. I'll be honest with you. There's been moments in my career where I felt like a lone wolf, bro. Yeah. Because no one was going to work as hard as me, bro. Yeah. And that's tough. It's tough because it's like you literally have to trust other people with your vision or with your artist vision or with just anything, bro. It's just really hard. And so you got to really find like-minded people. I think I think right up there with finding a good mentor is finding like great peers that you can yeah. actually rely on. I think no one gives that the credit that it actually should. You know what right. I mean? Because it's really hard. I mean, I know you, you, you're in the EQT system and I love all those guys there. Everyone there is super talented, super creative in their own right. But I mean, I mean, kudos to those guys for like understanding that value of community. Um, and I think that's also, you know, part of, you know, that DMV kind of culture. Yeah, right. Right? Where it's like, yo, we're not going to get this done, you know, on our own. We're not New York, LA, but we can be us and still get some shit done. Right, right. I think that that's the hardest thing to do sometimes. Like, I'm having a moment like that now where, you know, you got friends. Everyone's kind of, we're all in, we're all in three different boats, right? And we're all paddling our own boat. But if we all just got in one fucking boat, bro, we move a lot faster. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? But sometimes, you know, I think sometimes when you got to manage other people's expectations, the last thing you want to manage is, you know, a, a comrade's expectations mm-hmm. or someone who's on your side of mm-hmm. the fence's expectations. But it's also part of the, it's part of what you ask for. Right. Do people, this is just a question out of curiosity. Do your like homies and stuff ask you to get them on the radio? <laughs> like, is, have people ever hit you like, hey, yo, I heard you was at Interscope. Like, I got a song. Like, do they pitch you like they do, like, everybody else? No. Jordan's no. wondering, because Jordan's got some, uh, <laughs> some new music he's been holding on to right now. And after the show, you might have a question. <laughs> no, what's funny is, what's funny is, um, so, like, my friends that I grew up with, they're, like, the best people in the world, bro. And they're, like, really, like, my, uh, they really keep me super grounded. They humble me every time. They don't give, they don't give a fuck about this industry shit yeah. at all. And, you know, they cut my ass in the group chat, you know, anytime they can or anytime they feel like they need to. <laughs> roast. Yeah, and I appreciate that because, you know, I don't give a fuck about that. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't, sometimes yeah. I don't care. Sometimes people tell me, like, yo, I just have a carefree attitude. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, like for example, today I seen one of my old barbers walking down. The, I was walking down the street. He was at the, the, Sp- the Spanish food spot. He was, like, you know, just chilling. And he's like, yo, George, what's going on? How's everything with the music? You know, he knows I work in the industry. And he's like, how's everything? I'm like, yo, everything's good, man. He's like, you still so fucking humble, man. <laughs> and it's like, yo, honestly. He, he, cur- he cursed too. Yeah, he cursed too. <laughs> he was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yo, honestly, number one, I think I just don't know how else to be. Mm-hmm. Number two, yeah, this shit is great. Like, you know, but I'm not the guy to be like boasting about, you know, I, I'm, I don't. 
it's just not it's just not in my nature right because for me the path is still so very like unpaved you know what I mean mm-hmm. like I still have so much shit that I gotta get done oh, for sure it's like sometimes you don't ever see the other side you know yeah. what I mean and then when you do when you do realize that you're on the other side it's like it's time for a new mission mm-hmm. you know what I mean so to answer your question uh, my friends no they don't actually get them on the radio but random people that I meet randomly in different situations you know everybody just wants to get on everybody just mm-hmm. you know everybody's an artist these days so everyone's super selfish they care about themselves they want to hear themselves be heard be seen and you know I look like the portal to their dreams mm-hmm. but uh, hopefully they listen to this podcast and realize it's, it's not as easy as they think and they can do a lot of the work on their own before they even try to get into these conversations. But people don't you know? like to do the work, bro. Yeah, man. I know I've met a lot of people that say I need a manager, but they need a manager oh, to do all man. the work. They don't need a manager to help them complete their vision. They want man. me to build the vision. They want me to roll it out. They want me to do everything. You want me to be the artist except make the music. Bro. You know? They want to be they want to be an artist for the parties and shit, you know? <laughs> Maybe for like the drugs and shit like that too. But to be honest with you, I just tweeted that yesterday. I said... Uh, a good manager is hard to find. LOL. And I put LOL at the end because someone texted me and said, hey, I got an artist that I just signed but I need a manager for them. I was like, damn, bro, that sucks. <laughs> because number one, I'm not putting any of my friends in that type of situation because I don't know what the trajectory is. I, I literally know nothing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I just know that, you know, there may be a situation, there may not be. And these days, I think we're at a place in our lives where we don't want to just help everybody, bro. We can't afford to. Like our time is so precious. Well, in the music industry, too, it takes a lot out of you. It's not yeah. like it's not like working, you know, in any other client-based industry where they get a product from you and yeah. then they get updates to that product. It's it's more like an ongoing thing that we commit a lot of our lives to. And that's what yeah. Ramya was saying when she was on our on our podcast too. It's like, you don't realize Ramya. when you're she's asking. So dope. Yeah, she's super smart too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you don't know when you're asking, can you manage my artist? You're asking me to give up like a big portion of my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you're asking me to do something that, you know, is, is going to take up so much time so much energy and may or may not even pay off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I have to be so invested, you know? So yeah, now nah, think your manager is out there. They're doing a great <laughs> job. If you're successful, they're doing a great job. And yeah, they, they really are the keys to a lot of this shit, man. Yeah. So you manage an artist also. I manage a few, a few, few folks. What is the um? What do you think the overlap is from what you do at Interscope in terms of the skill set that you've been able to get and how that translates into being an artist manager? Um, I think when you I think when you're managing an artist, uh, when you're managing an artist, you're kind of like in the dark, and then when you're like on the other side, you're like kind of like in the light a little bit, and so it's all like information, right? And being on the record side of things. I think I've learned so many, like, I've learned where my blind spots are as a manager. You know what I mean? Because yeah. uh, I see the things that labels care about and pay attention to, you know, and, and things that they're looking for, metrics they care about, you know, where they want to see more engagement, how important touring is to certain acts as opposed to other acts, 
who they really care about in terms of like merch and stuff. It's like, it's really a business, you know, and mm-hmm. being a manager, you know, you just want to, you just want to do right by your client. But the label side, you know, the overlap is like, no structure, infrastructure. Like if you want to be the face of it, that's fine. But you still got to like have a system in place to make sure everything runs properly. Information like, you know, mm-hmm. is sourced properly and, Everything kind of like, you know, all the cues get hit. It's so important to hit the cues as a manager. And, you know, sometimes when you're in the dark, you can't see all those cues. You're just winging it for the most part. Right. Am I right? Yeah. No, you are completely right. You're just winging it. You're going off of feeling. You're going off of intuition. You're going off of like, you're really just like, you're talking to the fans directly, which is great. That's a great source. But, you know, fans... Fans don't understand the business. Mm. They just know what they want from their favorite artist. Mm. And sometimes, you know, sometimes the things that they want, it might have more impact in a year. Right. As opposed to 30 days from now. Right. Mm. You know what I mean? Like a, a remix might be better in two weeks rather than tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to upload you, you don't need to upload that song. I know it got mixed. I know it just got mastered, but no, you don't need to put it out tomorrow. Let's set it up. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's have a plan of action, you know. Let's make it a moment. Again, I don't think I think a lot of people aren't creating moments anymore, man. That's that's the tough part, bro. Like and I hate to sound like that guy, but all my mentors tell me about the 90s. I didn't live I didn't I wasn't in this business in the 90s, but it feel like they just like made moments and then like, you know, had a great time. Anytime in between the moments, they just had a great time because right. they executed, they planned, they prepared and they executed for that moment. And then they partied and then they planned <laughs> and kept going, going. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people aren't planning anymore. They're not like preparing anymore. And that's the part that I think is really, really like lacking on in some cases. Well, I think, you know, with the invention of social, I'm going to sound old too, but with the invention of social media, you can see successful people like every single day. So you feel like... You think that's the real problem because we're seeing so much of it? I feel like because we're seeing so much success, we're seeing so many successful people be successful in real time. I think people aren't thinking about how long it took to get there or the moments that it took to get there. It's toxic, bro. Yeah, it's like... it's not even... It's people that (laughs) are projecting this image of success that they may or may not have. And even if they do have the success, oftentimes people on social media are portraying the side of uh, success, even if they're not like genuinely happy people. Ha- yeah. happy people. This is very like toxic cycle. This, yeah. just sounds, this just sounds like LA to me, bro. I don't know. This, but what you're describing sounds like LA. That's how LA is to me. Yeah, to me too, honestly. Um, yeah, I love LA. Shots. We love all our LA listeners. I love no, LA. Yeah, I love LA too. I love LA too. I, I love LA for the studio. Yeah. I love yeah. LA for the weed. I love LA for the sun, the beaches. But it's just too, like, there's too much cap going on out in LA. Like everyone's like finessing. It's a lot of social climbing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just, I, even on social media too, like one thing that like, when we are working with artists and doing like their social media, like we're always across every single artist pushing artists to be vulnerable, to speak to the dark side, the challenges, even outside of social media. That's how you connect to other people on a human to human level. And that translates perfectly on social and beyond just it, it, it performs well too. Like the posts that will get the most reach and most engagement are the posts when people are just like super real about yeah, the challenges. Man. So yeah, I think man. it's like, 
I think yeah. I think I think sometimes people are like, I think just to your point, I think people are so used to feeling like I gotta show the best version. I gotta show, mm-hmm. you know, I gotta show the wins more so than you know the journey. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're definitely like fucked up mentally with that. Instagram, social media has definitely helped yeah. us with that. But also, I feel like you know. Like it's so funny when I when I first moved to LA, I remember I would talk like people would of course number one question first question people ask you, what do you do? Yeah, even and in I, the Uber. Yeah, <laughs> especially in the Uber. <laughs> especially, I hate that shit so much. Um, so first thing people ask you, take my car. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's happened to me. Oh man, I, I got a, I got a movie I'm yeah, writing yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. Like, I, got this new, I got this new song, bro. <laughs> Bro, you need to get these tires fixed. You need to do. Um, no, but first thing they ask you, like, what do you do? Oh, you know, and in the beginning, I was like, you know, I'm from New York, so we're very like, we're very upfront, you know, yeah. like, yeah, I work at Interscope, this and that, you know, I'm from New York, you know, obviously, LA people tell me I have an accent, I can't hear it because, you know, whatever. And like, yeah, because, you know, Interscope, ah, oh, man, I love Interscope. But it's so funny because I would always hear a story about, you know, the label about how someone knew somebody that worked there, so on and so forth. And it's like, you rare, I think in a, in a place like that, you rarely meet people who are what they say, you know? So the way people kind of come, like, uh, uh, react or, or interpret that is to, like, you know, let you know, like, oh, I have a relationship or I have. To legitimize themselves, yeah. yeah and it's like, bro, like, you ain't got to do all that. Not with me, anyway. Maybe mm. with some folks, but I really don't care, bro. I think that's the East Coast thing in general, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just being super real about everything. My mother is the most realest person I know. She'll tell you everything about you if she needs to, like, to your face. You yeah. know what I mean? My mom is too real, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, She's that's how I feel, real. too, man. My mom's been in situations where she could have lost her job, and then she was like, look, I could, I could leave right now. But I have another job by the time I get to my For car. Sure. It's on you. And I was like, damn, that's a boss ass shit to yeah, say, man. She's confident. But that's how it is. Yeah, that's how it is. And she taught me that too. So um, that's dope. Um, I want to get into like a story. So you obviously worked for a lot of artists. I don't want to say which one was your favorite. I never put people in that position. Mm, I wouldn't. Um, including myself. I don't I don't like saying I don't like saying that stuff myself, but yeah. what's a story that sticks out to you in terms of Bringing something to radio, maybe something that you maybe thought was a little bit too left at the time or something that you would just truly believed in that ended up, you know, really taking off. Um, and you don't have to tell me how you did it, obviously, but just something, a story where you um, were... I mean, you know, I love radio. One thing about radio is radio is always supposed to evolve, mm-hmm. right? The sound, right? So it must have been like 2010, 2011, and... Um, there was this kid named uh, Miguel. Miguel. Miguel's like got a song. He he had a few songs. He had a little EP project. And uh, Miguel's from LA. Love Miguel to death. Still my guy to this day. Radio at that time was auto tune, heavy, mm-hmm. right? Or rap heavy. There wasn't a lot of R and B that wasn't like dancey. Right. Like, you know, Ciara was like a, you know, she like she had up to upbeat mm. production. Right. Um, so if you couldn't do choreo to an R and B song, it wasn't like, you know, it was tough to get played. 
Right. And uh, I remember, man, I remember taking, I remember me and Puerto Rico Rob, we took Miguel everywhere. Everywhere. We took him to strip clubs. We took him to little <laughs> lounges. We took him to clubs in Harlem and in Dykeman. We took him everywhere. And everybody was like, all right, bro. All right. Played the song. You know, song got played. And, you know, radio, you know, it was eventually, eventually, the song called, caught on. I think that song was uh, All I Want Is You. Yeah, that I was think, like the first. I feel like that was the first. That one. was the first one. I think I think Cole was on that record. Yeah, yeah. Cole was definitely was. on that record. Yeah, that was the first record. We would go everywhere. And, you know. That it, was on Kaleidoscope, right? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I mean, eventually he like, re-put it out and yeah, yeah, it became yeah. a whole thing. I don't know if it's Kaleidoscope, but or it was one of those. Dreams, yeah, it was one of those. Oh, early, it was the one before that. It was the one before it was that. before that, yeah. Yeah, so that was the record. And I remember like, Everybody was like, what is this? Who is this? This kid's pants are like really tight. Like, <laughs> you know, he didn't fit the mold, essentially. Lo and behold, you know, he became a format artist. He became like a, an amazing, you know, artist for the for the genre. Um, pushed art to me. He's one of the reasons why R&B to me is so progressive now. I remember, I remember, <laughs> it's funny. I remember when, when he was out here, I remember I tried to I tried to get him in the studio with some producers producers that I was working with. And he's like, gee, I feel like I could do better than those guys, bro. And I'm like, you probably could, man. Cause <laughs> he was just so ahead. Yeah, yeah. He saw he saw what the genre could be rather than what it was. And everybody was just so comfortable. You know what I mean? So I think he's definitely like a great example of just sticking to his guns, bro. Cause he definitely like Great artist, great musician, great producer. But, you know, when he first started, like, you know, it was just tough. Right. We put, took him to everywhere and, you know, broke you through. You played All I Want Is You and there were people that were like, we don't, we nah, nah, This shit work, bro. No. <laughs> like, that song is so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In hindsight, yes, of course. But I, I liked it as soon as I heard it. It was like one of my favorite songs as soon as I heard it. <laughs> I think I, probably when you heard it, I had already. It might have been after it was. Broke. I had already taken all the nose. Yeah, yeah. Shit, he had shopped it around to every single strip That's club why in I heard New York. It. <laughs> no, every single club. <laughs> <laughs> every club, bro. <laughs> every club. Um, but no, but also too, like you know, it what helped with him. Obviously, social media wasn't huge at that time. But what helped with him was you know live performances, like television helped. You know, and obviously those performances, people seeing his his real artistry and stuff, that was like really important. And I think that's when people I think I don't for me, this is just for me, but I feel like that was a moment in my career when I remember people on both sides saying, We really gotta find some real artists. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. If we wanna do this shit for the next 20, 30, I think of, in my brain, for whatever reason, I think of everything like in mortgage terms. So like, <laughs> I always think 2030, like I don't know how to think next year. Like I just can't, it just doesn't, like I do in terms of like a calendar, right? but in terms of like my life, my career, legacy and my peers, I'm thinking like, damn, are we going to feel bad about this 30 years from now? 
You know what I mean? Are we going to be upset that we promoted maybe something that was like shitty or something that wasn't like beneficial or at least didn't have the balance? Mm -hmm. Right. I think balance is so important. Right. I totally agree. Did you say beautiful? Was you going to say that was beautiful? Yeah, that is beautiful. No, and I think honestly, (laughs) it is, bro. You got sentimental real quick. I didn't expect that from you. I didn't. I didn't expect that from you, bro. I'm shedding a tear, bro. You got it, bro. No, I mean, I think uh, it's interesting, too. And I I think even just from I think that's the bourbon, though, for sure. (laughs) Damn, bro. (laughs) 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 Miguel is so good. I just don't understand. (laughs) I love Miguel. Uh, No, I I I think it's interesting, too. And I think in a past life, I used to work in this world of, like, corporate innovation and actually go inside big corporations and try and make them more innovative. And I think we... Damn, you had a tough job, bro. Honestly, it really is. But I think what you said kind of brought me back to one of the keys to corporate innovation. And I think if you look at... The way that give the, us one of the keys to corporate innovation. No, one of the reasons that there, there's a big issue that happens when a company goes public because they, they now have this vested interest yeah. in churning out as much profit as they can on a quarterly earnings cycle. So they then start to optimize on a quarterly basis. Whereas in reality, optimizing on uh, for quarterly returns for your shareholders, not even necessarily directly to your stakeholders, to the customers, to the suppliers, to everybody in your ecosystem. Your vendors. You, you get Exactly. You get very short-sighted. You start to make these decisions that will win in the short term, but not the long term. And then you look at companies that have been in the game for a while and have tons of longevity. If you look at a company like Toyota, they actually have, like, companies will have quarterly business plans, yearly business plans. Toyota legitimately has a 500-year business plan. Like that, that's, that's thinking really on, fucking cool. Yeah, I kid you not. And, and when you speak about this notion of thinking long-term, thinking on this bigger <laughs> path, I mean, I, I, like, I personally in my life too, I resonated because I feel like I, I have this bigger picture plan and I... I can, per your point, not necessarily get caught up in this notion of, oh, it's not an overnight success. I realize that these goals I have are going to take a long time. Yeah, I think man. for artists, I think for everybody, it, being able to take a, a step back to really see how everything fits in in this bigger picture and that true progress is not made overnight is a very powerful, beautiful Especially thing. Hence why you boy almost shed a tear on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Especially for radio, too, because um, an example that we talked about on the podcast, like Crew by Goldlink, like that song came it took out like a year. December. Yeah, that song, song came out in December. And then a year later it was popping. It was like charting on urban radio. Bro. You know what I mean? Congrats to those guys too, because they stuck with it. I think the hardest part sometimes on the I guess manager side, artist side, is like sticking with a record sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes because again, an artist makes all right, these days an artist makes a record, like a record a night, sometimes two ideas a night. Right. And then maybe if you got like a week, you're probably finishing four ideas. Yeah. In a month, that's like, you know, 20, 28 ideas. Bro, that's like, well, these days, that's like one album, right? But no, but that's <laughs> technically like two albums, bro. All right. So as an artist, as a team, sometimes you're like so anxious for people to hear the yeah, shit man. that's on your fucking hard drive. Mm-hmm. You're Because you're so excited. You're so connected to the shit I just did yesterday, bro. You need to hear that. But sometimes it's the shit that you've been working for four months totally. that might need an extra two that'll break you open. Right. Right. For you sure. know what I'm saying? Totally, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And records are taking longer nowadays, bro. The internet is putting it in front of people faster. 
Yeah. But for it to click? Well, because there's so many options now. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? There's yeah, so yeah. many songs. Anybody can make. Uh, my grandmother asked me to, um, my, my grandfather, he passed away a couple years ago, but she wanted to um, put one of his poems behind music and wanted mm. me to like rap it and then mm. send it back to her. Okay. And did I made yes? it in like 30 minutes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I made you it. did it. So it's on the internet? I can go find it right now? No, it's not on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely never going to be on the internet. Because okay, okay. it's, it's my grandfather's words. Gotcha, but, gotcha, you know, gotcha. obviously anything from my grandfather at this point, I'll do it. Dope. But I did it in like 30 minutes and like, you know, put some loops together on the track, found a royalty-free beat online and, then sent, it, and then sent it to her, you know? Yeah, she and was I, happy. Yeah, she was happy. But like, I did that. And I, I I did it around working like a full time job and this, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. like it's just so many of these ideas out there yeah, that yeah. it takes a long time for these ideas to build and then go past, go past um or will reach their potential. But no, no one's ever gonna hear that song. <laughs> no one's ever gonna hear that. Copy. Yeah, I think I mean just to sum it up, I think I think we take so long to push a idea, push a record. I think you should give yourself like the opportunity for it to be successful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's sticking with it for a little bit longer than you anticipated. Even artistically. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. We got two hot takes. Uh, hot takes on our show are a segment where we essentially, uh, things we've been hearing, things we may not necessarily believe or not believe, but uh, things we want you to break down as to whether or not you agree or disagree and why. We stir in the pot. Yeah. Essentially. Okay. Um. So, one, major labels won't always be the ones with access to radio. So I think uh, right now it is hard for emerging artists, especially like independent artists, to get radio play. Do you feel like that will change a lot in the coming years? I think music has been, distribution has been democratized in a lot of different ways, but I feel like radio is still one of those frontiers that that may not yet be democratized. Do you see that happening? I don't know. And that's mm-hmm. my honest answer mm-hmm. because I feel like we live in a, like, I feel like the consumer now, well, there's a portion of the consumers who they've been conditioned to receive their content on demand. And there's another portion who I said before, they need to be curated to. Mm-hmm. And with curation comes, with curation comes a little bit uh it, it just gets tricky. Yeah. And so my answer wholeheartedly is I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that remains to be seen. I think that I think that with the right tools, independence can get in. Independent artists can get in and like, you know, get on there. But I mean, boy, you really gotta be like the cream of the crop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You really have to be the cream of the crop because it's like and also, I just think that, you know, the way things work, it's like, you don't know what you're getting from an independent artist mm-hmm. a lot of times. You don't know if they're in it for real reasons or they're just hustling, you know, just trying to get famous. Mm-hmm. You don't know. So you I don't think, know, Sam. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. <laughs> so I think that, like, is it possible? Yeah, but I don't know, bro. I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's like a lukewarm take right there. Hey, all right. Let's let's no, that's interesting. It's true. I mean, it's time will tell. Well, I mean, the, the craziest hot takes are when we say them to piss people off and they'd be like, yo, you're right. I'm like, what? <laughs> Hold on, what? <laughs> Explain what? <laughs> you know, time's um, the greatest factor, bro. Yeah, of course. I mean, one thing, yeah, it is interesting to see the the fact that I think uh 
I feel like there's so much other data sources showing what music is popping off. And I do think radios are paying attention to music that is getting organic traction outside of like major label pushes. But I do think as more and more independent artists start to thrive on their own, I think it probably, I think there's a just general trend of more. I think there's so many things that have to happen before that happens. That's just really why I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, like that's the end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm saying. Like, right. there's so many independent management companies that have to be part of the like part of the ecosystem. Right. And then there has to be so many independent like distribution company that also have to be a part of the conversation. Right. Like, in order for that to happen, there just has to be a surge of independence. A surge, because obviously, like, Chance is like you know. He's like our modern day, like, you know, business renaissance mm-hmm. person. He's like the example, but he's not even really the example. Cause to me, I feel like he's like an artist who wants to be chance. It's like, bro, I'll tell him in a heartbeat, like, bro, that's not attainable. Yeah. Not the way you think. Not the way you think. And I plus think that's like the one sure. artist too. Like everybody's like independent. It's like, okay, chance, who else? Give me this, <laughs> give me the fourth example. And then, all right, you you got an argument. Right, right. But, you know, there's so many nuances to that situation. And mm-hmm. it's like, and I and I know some people on this team, like, and, and they do, a, those kids are yeah. really smart. Yeah. Really smart. And they just happen to stumble on the greatest opportunity in life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. To be a part of a narrative that was one of a kind. Yeah. So, yes, I'm for people. I'm for all artists being independent. Mm -hmm. But there's always a moment where you can broaden your audience. For sure. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is. And that comes at a sacrifice to a certain extent. And I think as long as your business is straight, you know, you're always going to. What do they say? You always you always get what you negotiate for. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like if you got if you can build it and people are coming, mm-hmm. then just negotiate for something that you think is fair and that they think is fair, and then you'll be fine anyway. You'll have a mm-hmm. career. People are gonna love you. Like yeah. you still have fans. <laughs> right. You still sell merch. You'll still be at all the parties, hanging out with all the girls. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we got another one. Mm-hmm. You you want to do the first one? You want me to do the first one? On pick, you pick, bro. All right. Radio isn't as valuable as it used to be. Again. It's still number one for discovery. People people still want the audience. You know what I mean? And like I said earlier, like we've been conditioned to want to sign a record deal and want our song on the radio. And it's like, I don't know anything else or any other platform right now that I can think of that can directly put me in front of 30 million people. Yeah, that's a pretty big number, man. Spotify and playlists, they only got like 3 million to 8 still million. I mean, again, <laughs> again, Tom Hotel, Radio Still Radio. Um, I love I love all my DJs because they, to me, they, to me, are the... I don't want to call them gatekeepers because they are, but at the same time... A lot of gates now. There's a lot of gates, right? People are finding <laughs> alternative gates yeah. and stuff, which is cool. 
But I think to, for me, just from my vantage point, DJs make this shit fun still. Because yeah. to me, there's nothing like... For me, I get satisfaction out of hearing an artist's song in a club for the first time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And shit, if the artist is there, that's even better. Because <laughs> they're having the best time of their fucking life. You know what I'm saying? And then that feeling is infectious. Again, it's like, it's that human-to-human interaction that is what's so important. And I think... Again, I forget the I forget the hot take that you just. It was radio right isn't now. as valuable as it used to be. I think we're still we're still directly in front of the consumers. Yeah, you know, again, majority of consumers. Right. There's still, a, there's a portion that know what they want. They're gonna go find it, and that's fine too. We want to have something for them as well. There's something on the menu for those people as well. I will say the 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 narrative feels whole when the song is mean? on the radio. Oh, so, like, oh, it yes, feels yes, complete yes. when the song is on the radio. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? No matter it's how many Spotify race. streams are. Yeah. It's part of the race, bro. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I know I know artists who don't care about radio. And that's cool. <laughs> but that's only... But that's because, you know, one, they don't make that type of music. Or mm-hmm. they're just making so much money off of touring. And so, and that's cool. But I also see them go search their name on Twitter and they can't find it. <laughs> You know what I'm right, saying? Right, right, right. There's just a correlation there that is important. And I think, you know, I don't know. It's it's something that goes into the process. Right. It's like, what kind of artist do you really want to be? What kind of manager do you want to be? What kind of uh, marketer do you want to be? What kind of label exec do you want to be? Do you want to have an artist that everyone cares about and was talking about and making some, some cheese? Or do you just want to make some cheese and, like, go home and, like... Mm-hmm. Which is you fine know, too, you know. Dog. And that's cool. I love yeah, that yeah. too. Yeah, I love that. I love I love all of it. As long as you're progressing, that's all that matters. Right, right. Dope, man. Dope. Well, Gio, thank you so much for coming on, man. This is it? I thought you guys had some more stuff, bro. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground, Yo, man. How long, how long has it been since we started? One hour, 33 seconds. No. See? Yeah, yeah it didn't bro. even feel like we it, right? 7, 38, yeah, yeah, yeah. 39. Exactly. It didn't even feel okay. like it, man. Lost in time. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, bro. Thank you, guys. This is fun. Of course. Indeed, man. Of course. Until next time, brother. Thank you, man. Man, super glad we got Gio on. Um, one of my favorite parts about it, honestly, was just the flow of the conversation. You know, we came into this interview, you know, prepared like we always do. And then Gio threw us a curveball. He said, hey, man, these are the things we can't talk about, which is, you know, we talk about it with some of our guests. There are things we really can't talk about. And Gio wasn't trying to give out all the keys, just some of the keys. Exactly, which we totally respect. Any guests on here, we totally respect. But it happened to just be, you know, all the questions we had. (laughs) But um, despite that, despite that, the conversation flowed really, really well. Um, And I think what what you got here was not just an informative conversation, um, but a very honest, genuine conversation with, you know, a genuinely good dude. So definitely, you know, one of the better episodes, in my opinion, just because of the conversation that we had and, and, and how natural it was for us to to flow in a productive way, despite the curveball we were throwing, you know? Yeah. Super grateful to have Gio on. Definitely second everything Jordan said. Really just love the notion of looking at all this from a very long-term perspective staying true to yourself. I think from artists that have these press opportunities, being able to communicate well, I think 
understanding what your narrative is and what the story you're trying to tell as an artist is is really important so that way when you do get these opportunities you can really reiterate these these stories i think you don't want to have the same message over and over again verbatim but at the same time too you do want to kind of carve out a clear a clear narrative in the minds of your fans and people you're trying to gain and win as fans so i think that's really important to keep in mind as you are getting some of these interesting opportunities yeah for sure definitely so thank you guys as always for listening if you enjoyed the podcast please don't hesitate to leave a review on itunes or wherever you listen to the podcast and please let us know how we can improve ideas around guests ideas around topics just slide up in the dms on instagram at music business podcast um we'd love to hear what you have to say thank you guys so much until next week